New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What about the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It is Thursday, June 24th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Brandon Marcello, National College Football Reporter for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, the tagline for this episode or for this podcast used to be 15 minutes or less. We might bump that line a little bit, but it, we won't be too long today as we dive into what we're terming a sort of procedural episode on the happenings in college football. You were just in Dallas. The Supreme Court was talking about college football. We got July 1 on the horizon. Uh, we'll start, though, with that, that Dallas trip I just mentioned, Brandon. You just got back from the college football playoff board of managers, something, 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 in which we learned that this thing might not happen in 2023 like I kind of thought it would. Yeah, the uh, presidents of chancellors, uh, 11 people on that board of managers, rubber stamped the idea of going, moving forward and doing a feasibility study on a 12, 12 team playoff. But the big, big news out of that was, Hey, let's pump the brakes a little bit on this idea of starting things up as soon as 2023, because listen, there's a lot to work out. And the biggest thing is working things out with ESPN, their broadcast partner. They have a contract that doesn't expire till two th- the end of 2025. And also the bowl uh, games that they have contracts with and you know they have to figure that all out in the end i think that the undercurrent of all that really is that that may have been more of a negotiating tactic on their part where you know espn comes in they go well you guys really want to start this thing early and break our contract so we'll do it but at a discount so to speak whereas now the college football playoff people can go hey we're willing to write out the contract through 2025 and then go shop this thing around to other broadcast partners and not just you espn so i think it was maybe a negotiating tactic but we'll see how things develop here the next few months the next big step where you'll start hearing things is september 28th when this board of managers will meet again and listen to the uh, committee that will do this feasibility study and they'll decide whether to move forward and say, hey, let's go to a 12-team playoff. That's for certain. Now let's figure out the TV situation uh, on a more, uh, I guess, official level. Do you think the whole leveraging tactic thing kind of falls flat? It it might for me a little bit. Why would this not happen? You know, I mean, Uh, I know you just answered it, but that's just, that's just silly. Well, that's the thing. It's just, you don't come out and say this could happen this early and then get and backtrack and make fans even angrier and go, no, you have to wait like another three years on top of that. But I do think that for whatever reason, I mean, I'm not a negotiator in businesses, but you know, just throwing a number out there, $10 million is obviously a lot of money. Might not be when this thing goes up to billions of dollars, of course, but you know every little uh, cent counts, I guess, in, the, in these negotiating tactics. What else did you did you learn in Dallas, Brandon? Uh, the Bulls, you mentioned a little bit. I was reading your article on 247sports.com about college football summer of change, and we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. The Bulls seem to just kind of continue to hold this undue level of sway here. I mean, it's ridiculous that I'm reading about playoff expansion and we're talking about how the 
parade of roses prefers to be on a certain day. Yeah. And that that's going to be the big stickler really. And it's really three bowls that uh, have a lot of power. It's the Rose Bowl, the Orange Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl. The Rose Bowl probably has the most power because they've got the most tradition. They have that Tournament of Roses parade. They can say that they bring so much money to Pasadena with that that tradition rich parade, I guess. Um, things that are completely maybe we don't quite understand, but still holds a lot of power in their decision-making with game with games. And we all know their number one thing is they want their game on January 1. And uh, the playoff and, and for that matter, college football has been willing to work with them on that on that fact. And it'll be interesting to see how they fit into the, all this. I'm sure that they'll work something out where they're, you know, they're still being able to play on December 1 or excuse me, January 1 somehow, some way. Uh, and whatever years that falls where it makes sense for a semifinal game or whatever, they'll get that done. But, you know, certainly the Rose Bowl is going to, you know, they're going to want to maybe host a national championship or have more say in things. And all those things will be discussed behind the scenes. We'll see how that translates. But, um, you know, a lot of bowl games want to be involved in this playoff. And with the second round and obviously the semifinals involved, you have an opportunity to maybe change that rotation we've seen with the New Year's Six a little bit. And so everybody's going to be fighting for more space uh, in this new climate. Do you think the COVID-19 pandemic had as much to do with expansion as the quest for more parity, more you opportunity? Know, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, this COVID pandemic really, as we saw throughout society, allowed us like to kind of sit back and reflect and then like be more willing to change things and and t- do things that may have been seen radical because I, it's almost like uh, your, li- your life flashing before your eyes, I guess, so to speak. It's like, yeah, why not just do this? We should do it. We should go buy that car. <laughs> it's kind of how it's kind of how college football kind of approached it. And, you know, with the playoff, what's interesting is they started this working group two years ago and it n- word didn't leak at all. I mean, I was talking to my, my media colleagues and we were they were just flabbergasted how they never heard a thing about this until here the last few months. And even more interesting about that is that during this pandemic, when you would think maybe there was more time for this working group to talk and develop things, it actually kind of was put on the back burner because they had other issues to deal with as far as, you know, as we know, with trying to see if there's going to be a football season last year and everything that was involved with their with their conferences because this working group were conference commissioners. So when that's all settled down, they finally were able to reapproach this and get it done. So I don't know if the pandemic really sped up the process for playoff expansion. It may not necessarily that it slowed it down, but it's interesting to me that for the, during the pandemic, when they could have done the most work, they actually slowed, it actually slowed down a little bit. And they did a lot of the work, the legwork, so to speak, the year before the pandemic started and no, and no word leaked. It's crazy. You bring up a good point about they had to put it on the back burner for the, will the season happen last year, last summer, Brandon, we talked so often about the college football needs a czar. Mark Emmert's not doing the job we think he should be doing. And that brings us to all these other things going on. We're not going to dive into NIL today, but you know, there's that's on the horizon. We've got what does Austin v. NCAA mean? What does that Supreme Court case mean? Before we get into that, like, is it possible that there aren't enough decision makers like in college football like it's just these conference commissioners and a few presidents it feels like everyone's spread pretty thin without one absolute totalitarian voice because mark emmert if he got up there and said something like no one's actually going to listen to it like jack swarbrick's not going to listen to to mark emmert i think the issue is is that there are too many decision makers and they they're all on the same field so to speak they all have the same amount of power which their power is almost non-existent because no one will listen 
I mean, they'll listen to what they say, but no one's going to be on the same page. And you're exactly right. There needs to be someone that has that voice that's on top that is able to make these decisions and do so with some teeth. The NCAA's problem with Mark Emmert is that when they make decisions, it doesn't have teeth or they don't go all the way. Or here, as we've seen in recent history with the Austin case and NIL and everything, the NCAA is so afraid of getting sued and have to fight so many court battles in different states because laws differ from state to state that they're more worried about protecting themselves, the NCAA as an organization, than they are about protecting conferences and for that matter, the student athletes and players. So they get into this whole realm where they get in self-preservation mode rather than trying to kind of help everybody else out, which is their job to, to be governing body of college athletics. So until that changes, what we see now is going to continue. The NCAA is toothless in a lot of ways, but as we see this massive change happening this summer with NIL and of course the Austin case and now with playoff expansion, we're seeing that grassroots efforts, whether it's from the players themselves or even conference commissioners and ADs, when they decide to start getting something going, if they don't have to involve the NCAA, they can get things done. So maybe that'll spur change in the future, whether it's two or three years down the line, where they all come together and go, you know what? We need to throw out this NCAA model, maybe even govern ourselves somehow and build a new system to where we can finally have that big time, that voice in the room. That's not necessarily a figurehead finally, but we can actually have someone who is a CEO and a czar and we listen to them and they make the rules and they're not worried about preserving themselves and protecting themselves. They're more worried about actually helping everybody else involved. Are you for sure positive that college football will be in a better place without the NCAA? I'm I think so, but you know, we, we talk about it, it breaking away. And I'm just like, I want to make sure, and I maybe I'm just the devil's advocate here, Brandon. I just, just like want to make sure that it's not going to radically change the sport for the worst way. Like, it's not just going to become the Alabama or the SEC, like where it's everyone's going to be taken care of. Like, how, how, is, how would that even work? This is my opinion. I don't think you break away from the NCAA, you rework the NCAA because, in the end, the presidents and the chancellors, they're the ones who control the NCAA. They've kind of built this monster on their own and they've allowed it to kind of wreak havoc and knock buildings over when they're supposed to be building them up because it's so huge and so unwieldy. And I think the latest kind of notification to the country that the NCAA is completely disconnected from the people that created them, the presidents, the chancellors, is when they extended Mark Emmert's contract. And people in the college athletics industry and in academia were kind of baffled by that. Like, how did that happen? And yet you're sitting there as a reader or even as a reporter and you're going, how did it happen? You're the one who built this thing. You're the one who has given this the power in life to do this. So at some point, you would think maybe the presidents and chancellors would wake up and decide, let's kind of storm the castle that we built, so to speak, and do a complete overhaul. I think that's what needs to happen. They don't need to break away because this is what they built. Go in and refurbish the thing. Figure it all out. Start from the ground up. And I'm surprised we didn't start hearing more conversations like that. Like, as I said, during this pandemic, when people started re realizing that certain pillars of, the, of this castle we built were not necessarily as strong as they believed or what they believed it was going to be. So in the end, they just need to look in the mirror and say, oh, we can change this. So let's change it. Yeah. And there, there's, of course, the argument that Mark Emmert keeps his job because he's the, the front facing punching bag for, you know, to, to save the face of presidents and chancellors and commissioners. And I think some people say the same thing about Major League Baseball and their commissioner, Rob Manfred, when he's not like, you know, pantsing Maddox Scherzer, essentially. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it does feel like it's, it's especially with the NIL stuff and, and the way Emmert's totally just been on the sidelines for it. It feels like it's, it's reached its, its boiling point and yet he gets an extension. Do you, how shook do you think the NCAA is about Austin versus NCAA? And, and you can say on a scale of one to 10, it's a two. It's not that big of a deal or you could, yeah, you could go with a 12. 
I think the NCAA is so hard-headed that they wouldn't even know if it was a big deal. Um, I mean, listen, they fought this thing to the absolute end with this same game plan without any adjustments in the courtroom and then, of course, in the Supreme Court. And um, to me, I don't think it really phases them or matters much, but what will phase them is the moment they start getting taken to court more often if that happens and there's more litigation. Um, if, if that ends up happening... Maybe their eyes will finally open, but listen, I, I think in the end, this will be not necessarily a turning point, but this will be pointed to just like the 1984 case in the Supreme Court instantly versus Board of Regents that involved Oklahoma and, and the TV deals and everything. This will be looked at as the similar thing for, for players across the country. And what's maybe can make this even a bigger issue and uh, have a bigger fallout is that we're talking about pl- thousands of players now that not only have a voice, but now they'll have legal backing and lawyers just jumping at the bit to, they, to take the NCAA to task over things that they see are unfit or do not fit the amateur amateurism model because those are thousands of voices rather than 120 or whatever schools uh, that were involved uh, with the uh, Supreme Court decision in 1984 when it came to Oklahoma and, of course, uh, television deals. So much more opportunity out there for the NCAA to uh, be taken to task. Well, imagine how many lawsuits by, you know, at least current athletes would have been preventable had name image likeness been more of a priority for the NCAA. I mean, that's the perfect backdoor solution to not paying players. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, hey, exactly. we're not going to we're not going to authorize our universities to pay players or we're not going to figure out a central trust to, from which to pay the players. We'll let the local deli shop pay you. Like that's fine. Like they're literally giving other companies all the uh, all the all the obligation and the responsibility and they're still being extremely boneheaded about it. Yeah, if you're at the forefront of this, you get ahead of it, which by the way, they had several opportunities to do so or and they didn't do it. If you do that, not only do you lessen the blow, you might make a potential, as you said, kind of a backdoor opportunity here to make yourselves look like not necessarily innovators, but we are thinking ahead of the curve here to where in a point, to a point, you not only would not have states come in and get involved, you would maybe make this less of an issue in the long run where you go, oh, the NCAA helped us out with this. They're not necessarily looking to uh, lock us down or provide really strong guidelines against us. Whereas now the NCAA is in a situation where the rules or guidelines they put in place now are going to be much more lenient than they would have been, say, three or four years ago if they implemented something at the forefront. So again, the NCAA just tripping over itself by being stationary, which is crazy. They just tied their own shoes and they stood there and now they're finally start trying to walk and they're going, oh, we can't move. Well, imagine that. They weren't, list- they weren't listening and they didn't react. Is there anything I'm forgetting here, Brandon? I'm, I'm reading your, your excellent article. Uh, what a quote from Gordon Gee, uh, West Virginia president. It says, we're catching javelins and we don't know where they're coming from. It's a wonderful life. I've loved it and I've done it for all these years, but I think it's the most difficult time I have seen kind of makes me think that some of these people, once they figure out this next six months, 12 months, 18 months, like they're going to be looking to kind of get out of here. <laughs> I do think there are some people that, that will do that. And, you know, with Gordon G, G, you know, as you mentioned, he's been in this, been a president for 40 plus years, including at Ohio State, where he's most notable. But, you know, talking to him uh, in Dallas, what was so interesting was that, you know, he talked about how sport is kind of a reflection of society. And he said, we're so uh, obsessed where some people go, hey, maybe sport and athletics should not influence us in academia on the college level. It shouldn't overshadow us in academia. But what's happened over the last year with social justice change, the playoff expansion, now NIL and players fighting for their rights, he said, we have something to learn from sport and these players that we can adapt in academia. Because he says there's a lot of things in academia that don't get a lot of 
notice that need to change and he believes needs to change. And then now maybe they can actually point to football players, baseball players, basketball players and go, you see what they did? We need to kind of do that in academia. We can't keep sitting around and, and, and looking around and acting as if we got it all figured out because we don't. And uh, I thought that was a really very interesting viewpoint from, as I said, a, a university president who's been doing this for goodness, five decades now. And uh, his eyes are wide open to this and he hopes other presidents and even on the sport, on the, on the conference level with uh, in sports that hopes that their eyes open up to more possibilities that, that need to, to, to need to happen because change is needed. It's an interesting time of the year. All the preseason magazines are out. So the casual and and even the diehard college football fan, this is not only the time of the year where you you learn your rivals' strengths and weaknesses and you're you're memorizing your depth chart and committing new numbers to heart, but you're also trying to wrap your head around in Supreme Court and expansion and you know, whatever a college football playoff board of governors it means. And, you know, you got name image likeness. You mentioned that the next thing for the playoffs in September, you mentioned that the next thing for Supreme Court is kind of wait and see, you know, how many, how many antitrust lawsuits come at them. Next thing for NIL, that's July 1. I can't believe it's almost here. You fully expect it. And you said it like, Brandon, we're going to look back. This is, this is a different sport now, right? Like we're, mm-hmm. I mean, you already said it. This is, we're at, we're in the eye of the storm and this thing's about to never, it's never going to look the same. Yeah. Yeah. Two years from now, we're going to go, I don't even notice this, this sport and the way, listen, it's going to look the same on the field, but you're going to listen, the transfer portals already changed things. Now put players are free to move around. Did we even mention that free to move around without losing eligibility for a year? Listen, they're, 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 they're going to, this just everything's changing. We're going to have, it's going to be like a lot of ways, almost like an mini NFL or mini NBA players are going to be making a lot of money in some instances, whether through NIL. And they're also going to be moving from place to place from school to school based off of their own market and, and their earning potential even. And um, in a lot of ways, it's going to be like, it's going to be free agency in the off seasons. We're going to be talking a lot more about not just players leaving, but why they're leaving. You're going to have crazy announcements, not to say it's going to be, I'm taking my talents to South Beach and the ESP special, but I guarantee you at some point there will be some level of that on a smaller level of a star player doing that because they want to go to LA. They want to go USC, so to speak, because they have an opportunity to make much more money there for some reason. It's not going to happen a lot, but it's going to happen. And it's going to be, it's going to be a lot different. This is going to be for better or worse, semi-professional football and semi-professional athletics when you're in the college game. And that's what the players want and commissioners and, and, and athletic directors and school presidents are ready for it. I didn't show they're ready for it. They're open to it. I don't know if they're ready for it. And a lot of things, not only is this going to look different, but I don't know if we quite know exactly what it's going to look like, but I know that it's going to be completely unrecognizable uh, in the next few years. The NFL comparison is great. In addition to the free agency, I think what people, hopefully, I, I what, what, the, what, what makes the NFL so powerful is that it's in the, it's in the news cycle year round. Um, it's, it made schedules events. It makes free agency at this event. Now, I'm not saying that I love turning on ESPN every morning and, and hearing more of the same Aaron Rodgers talk, but college football, yes, to your point, Brandon, um, they've met, I mean, it's, it's June 23rd and we're, we're talking about college football. Like it's the most important thing in the world. Now, I, I, I would guess the next step this time next year, hopefully it's less uh, procedural stuff that some people find boring and more of the, the taking my talents to, to LA and, and that kind of thing. So I hope you're right about that because 
I cannot like keep looking at Supreme Court stuff. Um, it makes my head explode. It <laughs> same makes my here. Eyes, it makes my eyes dizzy. Um, but that's why. That's hey. You said you said same here. I think you uh, you came back from Dallas. You had a busy week, and I think you uh, really helped me understand what's going on here. And I hope I think everyone listening would say the same thing. Brandon Marcello. Follow him on Twitter at b Marcello. My name is Trey Scott. Our producer is Lance Glenn. Have a great rest of your Thursday. We'll talk to you on Friday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.